When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver, joined tonight, as always, by Mike McDaniel. Mike, how you doing, man? Did you have a good weekend? Did you take in some football? Weekend was good. A lot of football on, Joey. Um, of course, Louisville, we'll get into in a second. That was a dominant performance. Uh, but, of course, that was you know only the first game of the day. Uh, a lot of exciting football after that. Both college and then all day today as we record on Sunday night. Watched a lot of NFL games all day, so it was pretty solid. Uh, relaxing weekend. Yeah, having been in uh, Ireland over the last couple of weekends, it was nice to actually have one here in the States to just sit back and take it all in. Um, obviously, watched Georgia Tech and Louisville at the noon games and a lot of uh, Oklahoma State and some out-of-conference stuff there in the 3.30 hour and then on into the night, so I had a full like eleven hours of college football watching yesterday, which was exhausting and relaxing and fantastic. Yeah, you can't beat it. Um, anytime you have a weekend like that, where you can just sit back and watch as much football as you can um, and just chill out, much needed always. And yesterday, of course, and today, um, getting those games in uh, is exactly what I needed. So I'm glad you shared the same sentiment. Yeah, it's been a good one, and and. So, like, like we kind of mentioned here, Louisville is the, the big talking point in the ACC this week. So, I had a, a, a bit of a, you know, a first-world problem of college football, so to speak, in that I couldn't decide whether I was going to watch Louis, or Louisville blowing out Florida State or Georgia Tech blowing out Vanderbilt this weekend, uh, obviously being torn between my two favorite teams. But uh, I, I watched more of Georgia Tech, but we need to talk about Louisville here, Mike, because this was as dominant and kind of just impressive and amazing performance I've seen from a team in this conference kind of making a name for itself in a long, long time. Did you get a chance to see what Louisville did to Florida State? Yeah, so this kind of completely exposed Florida State's defense. Now, they were missing, I mean, let's go back before we talk about how great Lamar Jackson was yet again. Um, Florida State obviously missing Derwin James in the secondary was huge. They're missing one of their best defensive ends in Josh Sweat. Sweat ended up playing a little bit, but he was nowhere near 100% with a sore knee. Florida State really had issues in this game from the jump um, defending the run. I mean, I think that was the one thing that we watched in the early going. Brandon Radcliffe seemed to have his way. Lamar Jackson on the option read. Um, it really opened up everything else in the passing game. And, and what we saw there from Louisville, especially as the game went on and as they established a run was once the passing game opened up, it was full steam ahead. Um, Lamar Jackson, 216 yards passing, 13 of 20, really efficient performance, but he had four touchdowns on the ground. Um, was definitely the most athletic player on the field uh, in that game yesterday. Florida State's got four and five star athletes across the board, but Lamar Jackson was the most impressive player on the field from start to finish. And um, this is really... It's a surprise because a lot of people saw Florida State as one of the best teams in the country. I mean, I know I did, uh, despite not knowing a ton about DeAndre Francois um, this year. I mean, we saw what he did in the second half against Ole Miss in the opener. But, um, you know, Francois came out yesterday and he played like a freshman. Um, had a lot of issues with, with Louisville's defense. Uh, 
a lot of zone coverages. He had a lot of issues reading. Uh, they came with a lot of blitzes that Francois just didn't really see coming. He was unable to, you know, change the call of the line of scrimmage and the protection and, and kind of pick those blitzes up. And, and Louisville had their way. They imposed their will on defense. They were as impressive as they've been all season on offense. And anytime you're paying 63 on the number two team in the country that a lot of people were expecting to come out of the ACC this year, dethrone Clemson and, and turn into a team that could be in the college football playoff, anytime you go – you know, into into a home game against one of the top teams in the country and do what they did, winning by 43 points and dominating from start to finish. Uh, a really successful and impressive performance by Louisville, making a statement, and of course moving up to number three in the new AP poll that came out today. So Louisville goes from being maybe the third best team in the conference or maybe the fourth, depending on how you view North Carolina, to all of a sudden being the toast of the town. You got your quarterback there, who's now the leader in the clubhouse as far as the Heisman's concerned, and that's not only in the ACC, that's in the entire country, and I don't think that's even a question anymore. And you go from being that team that everybody's kind of forgotten about because it's always about Florida State and Clemson to being a team that blows Florida State out of the building, and now you got a matchup in two weeks against Clemson that could decide really who goes to the college football playoff out of the ACC because I don't think there's any question that the team to beat is going to come out of the Atlantic Division this year uh, as far as who's going to represent the ACC in a big-time bowl game down the line. So huge performance from Louisville, just really impressive. Totally dominant. Louisville up to number three in the polls this week. Uh, Lamar Jackson, like you said, the front-runner nationally for the Heisman right now, and Vegas would back that up. His odds fell today from 6-1 to one to win the Heisman all the way down to 6-5. to five. Um so he is definitely the favorite in the clubhouse, just getting a little better than even money if you want to bet on him right now. Uh, as you said, this was a total just undressing of Florida State. Uh, Louisville went for 314 yards on the ground and seven touchdowns on 46 carries for an average of 6.8 yards per carry. I mean, that is absurd. They went for more yards on the ground than Florida State went for yards, just at all. Um Florida State held under 300 yards offensively, gave up just a whole mess of yards on defense. Uh, Louisville looked really good, Mike. And like you said, I mean, there were some there were some defensive um, uh, players that were missing for Florida State, we'll say, you know, Josh Sweat and Derwin James, as you mentioned. But ultimately, I mean, having those guys on the field wasn't going to make a difference in this game. I mean, it was middle of the fourth quarter, and Louisville was up 63-10. to 10. And, and part of the reason was... I think I might have been underrating Louisville's defense a little bit. Um, I, I've been saying for a couple of weeks now and in the preview to this this season, I didn't think Louisville's defense was getting better under Todd Grantham. I thought it was maybe degrading and that this was the year that it was good, that the, the offense was going to turn the corner because it was, it was going to have to if they're going to keep winning games. Um, and I think I might have been proven wrong here. Uh, they they got pressure and got after DeAndre Francois the entire game. He could not get comfortable back there. They bottled up uh, they bottled up Dalvin Cook on, on a level that a lot of teams have not ever been able to do. Uh, Florida State still goes for 171 yards on the ground, but uh, it was not a, a particularly good day from Dalvin Cook, only going for 54 yards on 16 carries. Um, so this was. I mean, on, on a national stage, you talk about this is where college game day was yesterday. Uh, this is where, you know, they, they tossed it straight into the game. This is the ABC game in the noon hour. Uh, Louisville just made a huge statement in this game, and, and you're absolutely right to say that they go to Clemson in two weeks, and the winner of that game is 
easily the favorite in the clubhouse to be joining probably Alabama in the college football playoff right now. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people are, you know, talking about the ACC and they're saying, okay, well, where are we going to stack them up? Now, we're three weeks in, so I think the conversation that people have about ranking conferences and, you know, this and that, which team is better than who, I mean, it's crazy only three weeks into the season, but when you look at the ACC right now, and what Louisville was able to do coming out of nowhere, and people talking about how good Florida State was, and Louisville does that to them on national TV at noon when everybody's watching. I mean, a lot was made about this being a noon kickoff, right? But college game day was there, and for anybody who is interested in college football and wants to watch the biggest games of the season, they were watching that game at noon yesterday. It didn't matter that it was at noon versus 8 o'clock. I mean, they were watching that game, and... Louisville comes out, they make the statement that they make on the ground, running the way they did. You, you broke down all the stats just a moment ago. Um, the, the passing of Lamar Jackson, what he was able to do. Defensively, I mean, I, I agree with you, but as far as like underrating Louisville's defense, but you know, I don't think any of us expected Louisville's defense to do what they did to Florida State yesterday, and especially how they handled um, Dalvin Cook and the fact that he only ran for about 54 yards. I mean, that's crazy. He's one of the best running backs in the country, and they almost completely took him out of the game. And a lot of that has to do with the pressure they got on DeAndre Francois. Florida State got in a hole early. They tried to throw out of it with a freshman quarterback. I think a lot of that's on Jimbo Fisher, honestly. I think they went away from the run almost too quickly. But I understand partially, you know, the game script changes, of course, when you fall down the way that they did. Um, And it starts with Florida State's defense, and it permeates throughout the offense and the play calling. But, you know, Charles Kelly at Florida State has received – his fair share of criticism from that fan base. Um, th- those fans, to say the least, are less than enamored with him as a defensive coordinator. And I actually posed a question on my website inside the ACC's Twitter yesterday. You know, I said, you know, Charles Kelly has gotten a fair share of criticism, but does he get a pass because Florida State's missing some of their better playmakers on defense? And the answer was a resounding no, of course, because Florida State's fans have been you know, so displeased with uh, the way Charles Kelly has called the defense for quite some time with the athletes that he has. And we saw that once again yesterday. They were unable to adapt. And when you have four- and five-star athletes, there's no excuse. I mean, you should be able to make adjustments, um, you know, no matter who you're playing. In Louisville, what they showed yesterday, Bobby Petrino always has his guys well-coached. They came into the game yesterday with a great defensive game plan, slowing down Dalvin Cook, putting a lot of pressure, a lot of blitzes on exotic blitzes too on, on the freshman quarterback DeAndre Francois and I think that was huge in determining the outcome of the game and Lamar Jackson just doing what he does so real big statement win for Louisville uh, they look every bit as good as any team in the country right now I'd stack them up against anybody they're on fire and until somebody slows them down I mean I'm, I'm not going to be convinced otherwise so um, this is a big time team a big time win and Lamar Jackson is is every bit as talented as we expect him to be, and now he's throwing the football too, which is everything we could have hoped for. And don't forget, on Twitter yesterday, your boy, Michael Vick, Virginia Tech alumnus, came out and said that he thinks Lamar Jackson's five times as good as he was in college, and I thought Michael Vick was pretty good in college, so we'll see if that uh, if that comes to roost. But Louisville now leading the country in scoring offense with 65 points per game on average. Uh, their low watermark so far was last week against Syracuse when they put up 62. So get out of the way of that freight train if you're an opposing defense. But, Mike, we've got to move on. Uh, let's move on to a, a ACC team that we're going to kind of consider an ACC team, even though they don't wear the logo on their shirt and they don't got it on their field. But 
The Notre Dame Fighting Irish a touchdown favorite at home against Michigan State, and they lost the game outright by eight points. And I have no idea what on earth Brian Van Gorder's defense was doing, giving up 36 points to the Spartans here. The thing about Brian Van Gorder, and Joe, you and I have talked about this at length, kind of in our season previews, is Van Gorder seems like he's all bark and no bite. Um, and that's literally and figuratively. Um, he's a guy that's kind of loudmouthed and, um, you know, wears his emotions on his sleeve, I guess to say the least. And, um, you know, Notre Dame couldn't stop a nosebleed yesterday uh, on defense. It was a situation there where they fell down so quickly because they just couldn't stop L.J. Scott, the Michigan State running back, went right up and down the field on him. Michigan State's offensive line dominated Notre Dame's front seven, and it's it's interesting because Notre Dame has a front seven that's as talented, I'd argue, as almost any group in the country. They're returning a lot of guys on that defensive line and, and in their linebacking core. Um, th- now, they lost a lot of guys in the preseason um, due to suspension and, and injury, in their secondary, but the secondary wasn't as big of a problem last night in that game against uh, Michigan State. It was the fact they just couldn't stop the run. Um, Tyler O'Connor, the quarterback for Michigan State, is not not a guy that's going to blow you away uh, with his arm. He's a really good game manager. He's perfect for that offense at Michigan State because they've always been predicated on running the ball first, and the way they handled that last night with L.J. Scott going up and down the field on him, um, that, that slot receiver they have, Shelton, they got the ball in his hands, and Michigan State just found different ways to get their playmakers the ball, and Notre Dame just couldn't stop it. And the Irish fell down. It was 36-7, to and they came fighting back. And by the time they came back, it was too late. And there were a couple of miscues there at the end of the game with clock management that, you know, you can argue. Um, with four minutes to go, you know, Brian Kelly lets the clock bleed a little bit before punting on fourth down, and now he has two timeouts, and he's relying on a defense that just gave up 36 points to Michigan State with an offense that's less than stellar. Um, at least compared to the last couple of years. And you can argue that Brian Kelly maybe put too much faith in his defense that, you know, while they had gotten a couple of stops consecutively, hadn't really played well throughout the duration of the entire game. So, you know, maybe a little bit of ignorance by the head coach there. And it was, it was just interesting because Notre Dame was in a situation with Deshaun Kaiser and they just didn't throw the football as much as I thought they were. They didn't have a lot of success running the ball early with Adams, Tari and Folston, um, you know, they, they had a little bit of success on the opening drive, but after that, Notre Dame really struggled um, rushing the football. And when you have a quarterback as talented as Deshaun Kaiser, you want to put the ball in his hands as much as possible and have him make the decision. He has complete command of the offense, and he once again looked very good last night. And the thing about Kaiser, and it really surprises me with Notre Dame, that they even had a quarterback controversy the way the Kaisers played here in the first three weeks. Uh, it's unbelievable to me, and I, I think that's kind of a testament to Brian Kelly being a great recruiter and just an okay head coach. Um, I, I think you need to look no further than, you know, how he's backed up Brian Van Gorder, who deserves nothing but criticism the way he's um, the way he's coached over the past year and a half or so. Notre Dame's really struggled defensively. And, and then on top of that, having this whole quarterback controversy when Deshaun Kaiser looks like three or four, you know, I- at least in the top five quarterbacks in all of college football, maybe you can even make the argument that he's in the top three or four. And he was in a quarterback controversy at the beginning of the season with Malik Zaire. I mean, I think that's a testament to Brian Kelly being a little bit ignorant. Um, and, and he showed that again last night, and I think it hurt Notre Dame. Um, and now, with two losses in the first three weeks, they're out of the college football playoff conversation, and it's another unsuccessful season for Notre Dame. It's really interesting to see where they go from here, because they've got you know, a couple easier games here um, 
moving forward before facing off against Miami in mid-October. So it'll be interesting to see how Notre Dame picks up and moves on from this, but um, a pretty disappointing performance last night at home against Michigan State. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, like you mentioned, Deshaun Kaiser looks incredible, and I can remember it was just about a year ago when uh, Georgia Tech was heading up to, to South Bend to take on Notre Dame, and this was a week after uh, Malik Zaire had gotten injured against Virginia, and K- Kaiser had to come in you know, late in the game, led Notre Dame on a scoring drive, I believe, to win the game, and uh, but coming into that next week against Georgia Tech, the thought was, oh man, they've got a quarterback starting, their, starting his first game, I mean, this... This should be just fine. You know, Georgia Tech's defense is going to have a, a good game. This will be great. And they put up 30 points. And Deshaun Kaiser hasn't looked back. He's He's been very good. And I, I would agree with you to say that he's probably a top 10 quarterback in the country without any hesitation, maybe even that top five tier. Uh, he's been very, very good. And it's a shame that he's not getting a whole lot of help around him. Um, Gerald Holmes and L.J. Scott for Michigan State going for a combined 35 carries and 198 yards. That's not good. Uh, this is a very uncharacteristically bad Notre Dame defense right now. It's been much better the last several years, and it really it should be with the level of talent they have on that side of the ball. But as you mentioned, a second loss for Notre Dame that puts them in a really bad spot looking into the postseason now with losses to Michigan State and Texas, um, and this one even being a home loss to Michigan State. that's Michigan State's good, but that, that's just not a good look for a team who had some playoff aspirations coming into the year. So uh, not, not entirely unthinkable to me that this thing just totally spirals out, out of control from here. Uh, they've still got games against Stanford, Miami, uh, Navy, and Army, who both look pretty good, Virginia Tech, and at USC. Uh, yeah, this this could very quickly spiral out of control, but uh, not not a good loss, not a good look for for Notre Dame here uh, in in a big loss to to Michigan State. Speaking of games that were pretty high scoring, uh, let's go to Stillwater, Mike, where the Pittsburgh Panthers, who we've been trumpeting a little bit, uh, got in a little bit of a shootout uh, with the Oklahoma State Cowboys, which is kind of what we expected maybe, and this ended up being a little bit of a uh, a testament to what I was saying last week about how I think that Pitt's secondary is a problem because Oklahoma State absolutely abused Pitt's secondary, just throwing the ball at will all afternoon. Yeah, Mason Rudolph of Oklahoma State goes for 540 yards passing and two touchdowns. James Washington, nine receptions, 296, two touchdowns for Oklahoma State. Joey, I think you and I can agree here. Um, you know, we thought this game could get pretty high scoring, but I think we thought that Pittsburgh, to a point, would kind of reach that echelon where they were like, okay, I'm not sure if we're going to score anymore. And they kept going toe-to-toe with Oklahoma State in this one longer than I expected. Um, Pittsburgh's got a good defense by all accounts, but their secondary has some major issues right now. And I don't want to completely overreact because this is an Oklahoma State team that slings the football around quite a bit but that was pretty troubling when you give up 540 yards passing in a game on the road against Oklahoma State and Pittsburgh's got a big game coming up against another team that likes to throw the ball around quite a bit North Carolina so this is obviously a little bit troubling uh, moving forward because Pittsburgh we know they can stop the run we know they're very good running team with James Conner, Condry Allison but can they stop the pass? Um, it's not looking like they can right now, and with a pass-heavy team coming in at North Carolina, they could potentially decide who goes. Now, we're not even bringing Miami to this conversation yet, but 
a game that could potentially decide here um, next weekend who goes to the ACC championship out of the Coastal Division. Pitt's in a tough spot. Well, that was the game that decided it last year, and I, I'm a little skeptical that it will again this year. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Pittsburgh, and I was coming into the year. I think they were my pick to win the Coastal. But, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a big problem for them right now, that they gave up 39 points to Penn State, 45 now to Oklahoma State. Uh, good at running the ball, good at stopping the run, but, man, that secondary is, is not doing very well right now. Uh what was it? I think Oklahoma State threw it throwing for 540 yards was about what they had done in the previous two games combined against like southeastern Louisiana and what Louisiana Monroe or you know some small teams. So this is a this is a bad look for Pitt. I will say that their offense has this weird level of explosiveness to it. Uh, this game was tied at seven seven after five offensive snaps. First play of the game, Oklahoma State goes 91 yards on a pass for a touchdown. Four plays later, Pittsburgh goes 10 yards for a touchdown to Quadri Allison after a, a pretty quick 70 play drive or 70 yard four play drive. Um, yeah, I mean Pittsburgh has been a lot better on offense than I thought they would be, and and some of these games are getting more high scoring than I thought they would. But uh, it, it's pretty obvious where the where the weakness falls for Pittsburgh right now. And that's just going to continue to be exposed as they play teams like North Carolina, play teams like Virginia Tech, Miami, Clemson, and even maybe Syracuse, all still on the schedule here. So uh, they need some adjustments, especially in the secondary, if this season is going to become what they want it to become up in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and, you know, it was funny because, you know, their passing game looks a lot better than it has in the last couple of years, and that's without Tyler Boyd, who was the bonafide number one receiver that they had there for you know, three full seasons, and, you know, he's gone to the NFL, and now their passing game looks as good as it ever has. We thought their running game would be just as good as it's been or maybe even a little bit better with James Conner coming back if Conner returned to form. And, of course, James Conner has completely returned to form. Um, it, it's really interesting, though, watching his Pittsburgh offense. they got a nice two-head monster running back. Nate Peterman looks great at quarterback. He looks much better than I, even I expected. Um, I've, I've always touted him as a bonafide game manager, which I believe he still is, but... He's thrown the ball to date a lot better than I think a lot of us expected um, heading into the season. So, uh, yeah, this Pittsburgh offense is wildly explosive. Um, not really something that any of us were expecting out of them, at least as far as from a, a quick-hitting perspective. Um, they can score a lot of touchdowns in a hurry now, which is something I'm not really used to out of a Pittsburgh offense. So, uh, really interesting that Pittsburgh's able to hang with Oklahoma State, go toe-to-toe with a team that can really score in the Big 12. Um, and, and fall a little bit short, but, you know, if Pittsburgh figures some things out in the secondary, which is a huge if, um, they're as talented as any team in the, in the Coastal Division of the ACC. I do think that Pittsburgh has found its new version of Tyler Boyd here, and I'll tell you this by telling you that Quadre Allison is not the leading Quadre when it comes to rushing on this Pittsburgh offense. It's actually Quadre Henderson, the receiver, is uh, second on rushing on this offense. He's he's been an explosive guy. Uh, he's got a whole bunch of catches, a whole bunch of ball, you know, a bunch of carries so far. Nine receptions, eleven carries. Um, he he's a, he's a good playmaker and, and figures to kind of fit that Tyler Boyd role here going forward. Um, but yeah, time will tell on what what Pittsburgh becomes this year. But we're we're going to keep learning a lot about him here the next week or so when they take on North Carolina. But more on that later, Mike. For now, we got to talk about a another total drubbing 
of a conference game. And this is your Virginia Tech Hokies who really just made a mess of Boston College this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Tech looked good. Gerard Evans now leads the ACC in touchdown passes. Um, his opponents, though, to date are, you know, Liberty, which, okay. Um, <laughs> Boston College's passing defense, which isn't very good, apparently. And Tennessee, which, you know, after struggling with Ohio, I'm now completely convinced that they're one of the most overrated teams in the country. So Gerard Evans has looked good. Um, Virginia Tech's offense, they got rolling early, and they didn't look back. Isaiah Ford, uh, four catches, 91 yards, and two touchdowns. He made the most of his opportunities yesterday. It was really nice to see Marshawn Williams of Virginia Tech get involved in the offense because Marshawn Williams is a guy that, at running back two years ago for the Hokies, obviously suffered a serious knee injury um, as a freshman and didn't play at all last year, and now he's back. He carried the ball 15 times for 81 yards. They mixed him in with um, Shai McKenzie and Trayvon McMillan, um, which is really nice to see because it's kind of the thunder and lightning aspect when you when you think about McMillan and, and of course, now Marshawn Williams. And Sam Rogers played a major role again in the passing game. He's kind of become their passing back out of the backfield and, once again, in pass protection, looked really good, and, and the offense is better when Sam Rogers is on the field. He's a senior leader, a former walk-on, um, and he's looked very good as well. So a dominant performance. Boston College's offense is just so completely inept. I thought they were a little bit better, um, or thought they would be a little bit better after I saw how they performed against Georgia Tech in the opener. But the last two weeks, I mean, they, they didn't look great against UMass, and they looked horrible yesterday against Virginia Tech. Hokies got a really good defense this year, um, like they do most years, but they're getting back to playing that Bud Foster football where the whole defense is healthy and they're all of a sudden able to get five or six guys blitzing the quarterback from every angle. Um, just a really a really dominant performance. I don't know how much stock to put into it um, as far as the Virginia Tech defense is concerned. I think they've played well all season long, but this is a Boston College offense that looks like they're one of the worst in college football yet again. So I'm not really sure what to make of this performance. I think Virginia Tech looked good. It was nice for the Hokies to get a 49-0 win over an in-conference opponent. That hasn't happened in a really, really long time. Um, and Virginia Tech looking you know, looking ahead. They got a game this weekend against East Carolina coming up. That's going to be a tricky one. But you know, the Hokies offense, we thought that if they took care of the football, there would be improvement shown. Um, they looked a little bit shaky against Liberty. They looked very good against Tennessee until they started fumbling the football. And then they took care of the football uh, yesterday against Boston College and ended up paying dividends and um, winning a game by well, seven touchdowns is huge. So um, a, a well, good what win. What was for the Virginia. final Virginia Tech fumble counter on that game? Yeah, so the final fumble count was zero, which is nice. Um, Ooh, that's, five, that's a 100% improvement. Yeah, so five <laughs> less than last week. Um, yeah, no, it was it was important that they stopped fumbling. Um Obviously a huge cause for concern when you had 10 fumbles through two games and you led all of the FBS uh, in fumbles, and the fact they lost nine of them was also fluky but troubling. Um, the team needed to learn how to recover a fumble, but the best way to do that is to just not fumble at all. And so they didn't do that. Gerard Evans threw his first interception of the season, but it was a pass that went right through Isaiah Four's hands. He definitely should have caught it, just kind of took his eye off it. and uh, A little slippery there. So Gerard Evans, 10 touchdowns, only one interception. Went for 253 yesterday. Um, Boston College, I, I don't know what to make of their quarterback situation. I thought Patrick Tolles was going to be an improvement, but he went 9 of 28 yesterday for 80 yards in an interception. I mean, you throw 28 passes and you only throw for 80 yards. I mean, that's not good, Bob. Um, 
moving. So is that bad? Not good. Um, just really terrible, actually. Um, only matched by John Hillman's ten carries for two yards. So, um, yeah, so a rough day for Boston College. In total, they had 28 carries for 44 yards. Um, Darius Wade attempted to pass late in the game. So between the two quarterbacks, 9 of 29 for 80 yards and interception. Uh, Just a complete drubbing. Boston College just didn't look like they belonged on the field. And I'm hard-pressed to say, you know, I I just don't see an in-conference win on Boston College's schedule this year. Um, They didn't win one in-conference last year. Not sure with that offense they'll win one in-conference this year. Um, That was really, really disappointing for the Eagles. And uh, just a good win for Virginia Tech. And moving forward, it'll be a good jumping-off point, you know, to see where they can go when they take care of the football. The losing streak for Boston College is alive at 10 straight conference games that they have not come out on the winning end of. And I don't, I feel like maybe we're jumping the gun here a little bit to say this, but you'd have a tough time arguing against me at the same time is I think Steve Adazio is on a little bit of some firing watch here. Um, I I can't promise you that he's going to be their head coach at the end of the year or really even like at the beginning of November. Uh, This is very quickly completely fallen off the rails. I mean, I'm, I'm with you that I thought after that Georgia Tech game, I thought that Boston College's offense was going to be better. I thought we saw some good signs in that game at the very least. Uh, but this has been a, a total disaster so far, that, at least, you know, against a formidable defense like Virginia Tech. So I, I feel comfortable in saying that uh, Steve Adazio might not make it to November as Boston College's head coach. And I think that Dan Rubin might be with us if we asked him. Seats on fire! Fire, fire, fire. Um, there's no way he'll be the coach at BC next year. I mean, that's not even a question. But whether or not he makes it to the end of the season is where the betting money uh, should be placed at this point. Um, <laughs> the beginning of November, I, I mean, looking at Boston College's schedule right now moving forward, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that that's a situation that does actually play out where he's fired before November. Um, Boston College is a bad football team right now. They've been terrible offensively since Adazio got there. Defensively, they've been fine. Um, Yesterday, they were not fine, and that's a major issue for BC. It's now they're regressing on defense as well, perhaps, um, at least when they face a decent offense. And I don't know, it's troubling. BC's in a lot of trouble. Um, they need a new man at the top, but that's that's been a situation that's been playing out for a while and something that you know we've we've discussed before. Uh, BC will be better off with a new guy running the show there, and maybe a guy that's a little bit more offensively minded. Um, and I think once they get to that point, they'll start to turn a corner and maybe improve. They've got to be better dudes up in Boston. <laughs> got to be better dudes. Let's move on, Mike. We got we got to move on here to uh, a game that we got a couple of tweets about here at BC Podcast ACC on Twitter. Uh, we were asked to show some love to Miami, as formerly promised. And first of all, I don't recall uh, ever formerly promising love for Miami on this I will podcast. Never. And I will never. In fact, I specifically remember not promising any love, and in fact saying that I specifically dislike Miami. However... Objectively, I gotta say, I, I was impressed with their performance over App State on on Saturday. That was a very trendy upset pick. They were thought to be on upset alert. Boone, North Carolina, a super weird place for a team like Miami to go play. 
Uh, that team, Paul Johnson said earlier in the week that he was like, you know, Miami better be ready for that game because they've been talking about that game in North Carolina for about a year now. Um, that was the, the quote-unquote their Super Bowl, uh, playing that game at home. So it was a dangerous and and loud and rowdy atmosphere. And Miami walks in there and takes care of business, 45-10. to 10. They only needed 59 total plays to score 45 points, uh, 549 yards, you know, over nine yards per play. Miami, this this is the kind of game that Mark Richt at Georgia that his teams would have struggled a lot with. They may not have lost them, but they would have struggled. And Miami just went in there and, like I said, Mike, they just they just took care of business. Yeah, they did. Um, and, and you know, I was kind of making it, you know, kind of taking a little bit of a jab there, at Cam Underwood, because I always tell him, I'm like, I will never show Miami any love. But Joey, if you'll remember last week two things. Number one, I picked App State in an upset. Um, I thought that was a trendy pick, but what I also said to you in last week's podcast was that this was the week that Miami was going to show me something and the week that, you know, if they came out and got a huge win, I would be all in as far as Miami being an improved football team and being, you know, maybe as good as advertised. And, um, you know, after the win yesterday and how they did it, coming right off the bat, having Mark Walton run for an 80-yard touchdown just right right off the jump, um, kind of making a statement there saying, you know, we're not having any of, the, any of this upset talk. Um, you know, Miami, the best thing that happened to Miami was the fact that App State almost upset Tennessee in week one because Miami was on upset alert. You know, a lot of analysts were saying, okay, well, you better watch out for App State in this game. They're really talented. You know, they're, they're playing – you know, they played some of the best teams in the country close, and, you know, that's a lot of people hyping up Tennessee maybe more than they should be. But it was a game in which Miami came out, and they were aware that App State was a good football team that takes advantage of mistakes, so Miami countered by not making any. Um, Brad Kaya, a great game. 21-27, uh, 368, three touchdowns. Threw one interception, but it really didn't cost him. Um, the one thing to note in this game, my, uh, Brad Kyle left the game briefly with a knee injury. He had a little bit of swelling um, today, but they're saying he should be good to go. Um, they have a bye week this week, so bye week came at a great time to rest Brad Kaya up. But 45-10, they ran the ball great. Mark Walton on the ground, 16 for 130 and two, two scores. Amon Richards in the passing game has really emerged as their deep threat. In the offense, we talked about Miami having a lot of talent at receiver, but they were pretty thin, not a ton of depth there. But Amon Richards has kind of emerged as the guy that kind of stretches the field vertically for them. Four catches for 142 yesterday. He didn't score a touchdown, but he really uh, he really broke a couple plays open that ended up setting Miami up down in the red zone, which is huge, I thought. Um, Stacy Coley, another strong performance, five catches, 85 yards, two touchdowns. So. You know, when looking at Miami, this was a, a good win. Um, they were the much more talented team. They had more talent on both sides of the football. They showed that from start to finish. App State never really had a prayer in this game um, once once it kicked off. I mean, Miami never even gave App State the idea that they were in the game, that they had a chance at upsetting them. Um, that was never even a thought because the Hurricanes jumped on them so early, and they were up 24-3 to at the half, and it was smooth sailing from there on in. So a really impressive win for Miami. Cam Underwood, this is for you. I'm all in on the improvement. I think Miami's a good football team. I underrated them the first few weeks because I wanted to see what they actually had. Um, I think this is a good win over an Ass State team that, while they may not have the most talent um, and maybe the 
you know, analysts overrate App State a little bit, and maybe I also um, admittedly overrate App State heading into this game. Um, they are a team that's pretty well coached, so uh, good for Miami. It's a really good win. I'm interested to see how the Hurricanes perform the rest of the year because they have a couple of tough games coming up, and um, I, I want to see how they react to now being the hunted versus, you know, the hunter. I will say, Mike, that the thought crossed my mind watching this game that we were sold this bill of goods coming in that uh, that Tennessee, obviously App State had given Tennessee a lot of problems there in the opening weekend in Neyland. And the thought was, oh, man, App State must be really good giving Tennessee all those problems. And then, you know, Tennessee obviously wins that game big last week against Virginia Tech, but we, we kind of agree that that was thanks in large part to all that poor luck on fumbles for Virginia Tech. Then Tennessee again this week goes and struggles hard with Ohio, and now my my wonder is is App State that good? Um, and and really how how impressive is this win? But ultimately, I mean, at some point Tennessee's a really talented team, and App State gave them a lot of problems. So you you can't just take App State lightly, and especially not in Boone, North Carolina, when you're playing this game. So. Uh, this is a big win for Miami. They uh, they they continue to look really good. Uh, they ran the ball extremely well against Appalachian State. They th- they're throwing the ball down the field, and they're they're looking like a team that that should be making a lot of noise in the Coastal Division. And at this point, might be the one that has looked the best in the division might be on its way to Charlotte or not Charlotte or you know wherever it's going to be now. Uh, more on that later, but you politically uh, correct sob, you know. <laughs> yeah, wh- wherever they're playing the game, it might be Miami representing the coastal there. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so good win for Miami. There's there's your love. I, I think that they are an improved team for sure. They look really good on offense so far, but they have tougher games yet to play. So we'll see how they fare in those. Moving on, we got to talk about my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets who absolutely took Vanderbilt to the woodshed here, Mike. They they score on the game's opening play. Vanderbilt wins the coin toss, elects to defer. Georgia Tech gets the opening kickoff. First play, play action, pass to Marcus Marshall, 81 yards to the house. Uh, that was a big start. Um, started there, and from there, it was 17-7 at halftime. Offense looked like you know, it was sort of starting to click, but then when it came out of halftime was when Georgia Tech really started to turn it on. Uh, I was impressed with how well the defense held up uh, against a, a pretty good Vanderbilt rushing attack. Ralph Webb held to 69 yards on 18 carries. That's less than four yards per carry. It's pretty good. Uh, Kyle Shermer, the quarterback for Vanderbilt, 17 for 26, 149 yards. That's pretty good, too. Meanwhile, Georgia Tech's offense, uh, 289 yards on the ground, 222 through the air. Uh, Justin Thomas, only 6 for 13. But, again, I, I think that Justin Thomas is really developing into a, a better passer than numbers would give him credit for. And... That's a that's a huge part of this offense having some success because as you saw last year when he has no time to throw and when they have no threat of passing, defenses are just going to walk up safeties into the box and the offense is going to have no no shot. Um, and this year that's kind of not been the case with Thomas making some really good throws, receivers doing their their part on their end. Uh, Georgia Tech starting to look like the offense might be clicking a little bit, especially against what we thought to be a pretty good Vanderbilt defense. I was telling you, Joey, if this offense improved and looked like the 2014 version, this was going to be a much better Georgia Tech team because I believe in that defense, especially against the run. I thought that Georgia Tech's linebacking core is pretty solid, and and you would know better than me, of course, but 
you know, they have a pretty decent front seven. I thought that, you know, if Georgia Tech was able to stop the run like they have in recent years and run the football a little bit better this year and kind of have a greater command with Justin Thomas in that offense, I thought they would be, you know, a team that would definitely improve and get, you know, back closer to the eight or nine win range than they were, um, you know, last season when, of course, they only had three wins. But looking at Georgia Tech, a really good performance against Vanderbilt, really solid. Um, I, I forget what that line was in that game, uh, Joey. Um, I, th- I think that Georgia Tech was only, what, what was it, like a seven-point favorite, touchdown favorite? Anywhere between six and seven. Yeah, I mean, depending on where you look. And it was a situation there where Georgia Tech kind of just took them to the woodshed from start to finish. Um, a very good opening play, obviously, on offense, and it was smooth sailing from there on in. Rushing defense, like you said, played really well. Um, Justin Thomas, he's really impressed me here in the early going this year. He's got He's been in full command of the offense, and that's something that he's always kind of had going for him is that he's always seemingly – looking to make the right play and and looking to make the right read. But I think the offensive line, at least here in the first few games, has looked much better this year uh, than than it did a year ago. And I think that's going to go a long way determining just how good Georgia Tech is the rest of the way here. So, yeah, good win for Georgia Tech, Joey, and and I'm with you. You know, it's a a win against Vanderbilt out of conference that I think will be a good springboard here as as you go throughout the rest of conference play. Georgia Tech now 3-0. Uh, after wins over Boston College, Mercer, and Vanderbilt. they got a tough three-game stretch coming up, but they've already matched their win total from last year, so I can't complain too much. Uh, so we'll see where things go for the Yellow Jackets from here on out. Uh, let's go through this next few uh, quickly here, Mike. Uh, we talked about how South Florida is a way better team than a lot of people are going to give them credit for, and Syracuse found that out this weekend as they got really just blasted by this, the, the Bulls in the – back three quarters of this game up in the carrier dome, Mike. Yeah, Syracuse jumped out early uh, to a 17 nothing lead, and all of a sudden you're looking at that South Florida minus 14 spread, and you're like, oh my God, what's going on? Um, and then Syracuse turned back into Syracuse. Um, Dungey threw a couple interceptions. South Florida took advantage. They ran the ball well. Marlon Mack, nine carries, 115 yards, and two touchdowns for the Bulls. Um you know, the receiving core played well. Um, you know, I thought South Florida, Quentin Flowers really spread the ball out to a number of different playmakers. Rodney Adams had 67 yards receiving and a touchdown. Dearness Johnson, 37 yards receiving. Marcus Scantling, 35 yards receiving. Tyre McCants, 32 yards receiving. When you throw the ball to that many guys and they're all averaging um, averaging those yards in a game, you don't really know who to cover. And that's what we saw to Syracuse, specifically in the second quarter, where they just got torched. Um, just a lot of issues there. Um, for Syracuse in the second quarter, it really started going downhill with the turnovers and the fact they couldn't stop the run. Um, just all of the normal ills that we see out of the Syracuse team that really, you know, quite frankly, isn't very good. Um, you know, it was a great start by the Orange. I think it's something that they can build off of moving forward um, because, you know, I think when you have a team that Dino Babers has where you're a little bit short on talent here, at least initially, it's good to get out to a lead like that against a pretty good football team in South Florida. But the Bulls took advantage, um, took advantage of some mistakes. 45-20 the final. Um, to talk about Syracuse for just a second, Eric Dungey, I know some of these passes came in garbage time, so I don't want to put too much stock into it, but he did throw for 350 yards yesterday, which for Dungey is, you know, a pretty solid performance. He did have a couple of ugly interceptions, but um, overall, I thought the Syracuse offense performed pretty well. Um, Dante Strickland, 30 carries for 127 yards, just continues the narrative of you know Dino Babers wanting to you know establish the run and then kind of open up the throw after that and get the ball in his playmaker's hands. So 
it's been exciting offense at the very least for Syracuse. They need to clean some stuff up defensively and, and try to cut down on the mistakes on both sides of the football, um, both with the turnovers and, then of course, some of the misassignments they had in the secondary yesterday. But um, overall, I, th- I thought it was a pretty good showing, at least the jump for Syracuse. But then after that, South Florida just got out and running. They were just a better football team there as they imposed their will there in the second half. Syracuse, like you said, was up 17 nothing out of the gate. And then they were down 28-17 by halftime. Uh, this thing turned, and it turned quick on the orange. The problem is that now I look at the rest of the schedule, and I think this very well could end up like a 3-9 and nine season for Syracuse. Uh, we've talked about before, we both think that they've got a, a bright future ahead. And I think it's worth mentioning that they're also third in total offense in the, in the uh, conference right now, which is, is good news for them. Uh, but it's going to take a little bit of time for Dino Babers to get the right talent in there and, and – maybe rebuild some of that defense as well that's given them a lot of problems. They've really gotten trampled the last couple of games by Louisville and South Florida. Although, to be fair, those are probably both top 25 teams at the end of this year. Uh, so not, a, not an easy look for Syracuse here against the Bulls. We're going to talk now somehow and for some reason, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but we're going to talk about the unwatchable for a second. This was Duke on the road at Northwestern. Northwestern wins 24-13. In a game that was shockingly low scoring for how much offense there was, uh, 800 total yards and only four turnovers between the two teams. Really, Northwestern just feasted this in this game on three long touchdowns, uh, two in particular kind of later in the game. And, Mike, this Duke team is kind of looking dreadful right now. Yeah, it is. I mean, they got a freshman quarterback, Daniel Jones, and he's, he's played okay, uh, threw for 279 yards against Northwestern, so... I think they have something there, a quarterback, that maybe they weren't expecting. Um, you know, it was a little bit of a surprise that they ended up picking the freshman to play quarterback, but I think David Cutcliffe kind of knew this was a little bit of a transition year for Duke. Um, I think he kind of signaled that when he chose a fre- true freshman to start quarterback. Um, Duke is up and down on defense, and that's really hurt them here in the opening few games that they've had here. Two losses, and they go to South Bend next week to play against Notre Dame, so the defense doesn't have much time to recover there. Um, yeah, I mean, Duke's a team that's got, that's a little bit in transition here on offense, both rushing and passing. They're kind of trying to find an identity, and I'm not sure they have one yet. Um, they used to be kind of a a spread run team with, with Parker Bame and, of course, Thomas Sirk, and kind of mixing and matching them, um, given different personnel groups, um, and, and kind of running based off of that at the quarterback position and then handing off to whoever it would be in the backfield. Uh, Jayla Duncan only had 53 yards rushing uh, yesterday. He was averaging almost five yards a carry. I was a little bit surprised it went. they kind of went away from him. Daniel Jones kept the ball and ran a little bit more than I was expecting there in the option game. But, yeah, Duke's a team that's kind of caught in transition on offense. I think that's hurting them. Their defense lost a lot of playmakers from last year's, from last year's squad, obviously, and I think that's hurt them as well. So it's going to be tough sliding for Duke here moving forward. It was a pretty unwatchable game. Uh, like you said, the big plays from Northwestern just ended up being the difference. Clayton Thorson, the quarterback for Northwestern, 18 of 39, so he didn't throw the ball particularly well, but he had 320 yards and three touchdowns, so that ended up being the difference. We talked about Duke this season maybe missing a bowl game and felt a little bold, again, with them having won, what was it, 27 games in the last three years, and they've been a bowl team for you know the last several years under David Cutcliffe. Um and so it felt like, oh, well, you know, this is a little bit of a bold statement to say that they won't make a bowl game this year. Sure, they got a tough schedule, and they'll probably take a step back uh, without Thomas Sirk and such, but 
Man, a 1-2 and two start with losses to Wake Forest and Northwestern immediately makes this thing look way tougher to get to six wins uh, for Duke. I, I just don't see it, and especially with a game we presume was going to be easy and was going to be a gimme win. they got coming up again a game against Army here in a few weeks that is now looking way tougher as Army is 3-0 as well. So uh, this has been a struggle this year for Duke, and it doesn't really look like it's going to get any easier from here. So... Uh, rough, rough rebuilding year here in Durham. We're going to talk about this game real quick for one specific reason. Wake Forest over Delaware, 38-21. 3-0, Joey, 3-0. I'll be damned. 3-0 Wake Forest is now a, a reality that we have to deal with. Uh, and this is, this is amazing. I mean, Wake Forest has turned it around. This has been a, a really kind of a... Uh, what do I want to say? A renaissance here, maybe for for the Demon Deacons coming out three straight wins, three and zero to start the year. To be fair, that we would have all pretty much predicted them to go two and one at worst with wins over Tulane and Delaware, but also with the win over Duke. Wake Forest defense looks good. They're running the ball. This is looking like we might be talking about bowl eligible Wake Forest here, and not even in like a joking, like just you know messing around kind of way, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think their schedule definitely dictates a situation where not only could Wake Forest be bowl eligible, they could maybe win seven or eight games, best case scenario. Um, and I think, I, Joey, I'd, I'd like to you know go back at some point and think about our win totals when we were doing our preseason, uh, preseason predictions and all the previews. But yeah, Wake Forest is in great shape now, getting off to a 3-0 start. They have a very winnable game this weekend against Indiana. Um, they'll be a tough game, but a game that I definitely think they can win, um, showing what they have. Indiana loves to run the football, and Wake Forest has done nothing but stop the run so far. So it's hard to it's it's hard to imagine that Wake Forest wouldn't be in that game. You know, Wake Forest they started Kendall Hinton at quarterback this weekend. Of course, Hinton left with a knee injury. They're not really sure the severity of it at this current uh, this current juncture as we record on Sunday night. But John Walford came in and reassumed the starting role as soon as Hinton got hurt. Walford went 13 of 24 for 155, a touchdown and interception. So a typical John Walford performance, but he had 70 yards rushing on the ground. He handed the ball to Matt Colburn, who had 118 yards and a touchdown. So Wake Forest, they stopped the run, but they also ran the ball well on offense. And, you know, when you have a defense that's committing to stopping the run and you got an offense on the other side that's going to be kind of a ball control type system that's going to try to put up as much points as they can while, um, or as many points as they can while kind of bleeding the clock and, and grabbing as, as many yards as they can. You know, it's a situation here with Wake Forest where they've been really impressive here early on. I, I've been really impressed with them, especially defensively. So it's a team that can definitely be bowl eligible if they continue the formula that they currently have. I'd call them this year's Boston College, but if they were this year's Boston College, um, they wouldn't have any ACC wins. So um, a, a good a good start for Wake Forest. They're now 2-0 at home, um, and, and they got a game here against Indiana that's really going to go a long way determining bowl eligibility coming up this weekend. Good on you, Dave Clawson, and good on you, Wake Forest. You're making us say nice things about you now. Um, okay, Mike, we got a, one more game we got to talk about here before we move on to Week 4, and this is... Your your Virginia Cavaliers, I say this, you know, lovingly, uh, Virginia keeps finding new and interesting and exciting ways to lose football games, Mike, and this week was no, uh, was no exception to that rule. Uh, so let me set this up for you. So about 30 seconds left in the game, 
Virginia's down 13 to 10 on the road at UConn. They throw a pass deep down uh, down the middle of the field. It's caught uh, about six yards away from the end zone. Uh, so basically, Virginia's got six yards to go. Third and goal with 27 seconds left. They run a QB draw. They get a few yards uh, and they set up you know for a field goal. They've got no timeouts by the way. So they're down on the two yard line. About 20 seconds. Clock running. Run the field goal team out onto the field. Now, as a part of this field goal team is a kicker who is currently playing in his first ever organized game of American football. So that's something. Uh, so as this, this <laughs> offensive line is like shuffling onto the field, barely get the snap off before the game ends, and from point-blank range, God love him, this new kicker pulls the field goal <laughs> that was like maybe like a 25-yard attempt. Uh, Alex and Alex <laughs> and Alex Furbank turned into Alex Furshank when they really needed him most. Uh, oh, just man. terrible, uh, terrible pulled it left. I mean that was, uh, God, you, you don't want Fo- that. You don't want that to happen against UConn. Football is not as fun as he thought it was coming into this game. <laughs> needless to say, he came for he came for the orange slices and the juice, and he left with a <laughs> he left with a with a missed field goal and a loss to lowly Connecticut. So it wasn't a good first organized football game for Alex Burbank. Oh, man. Virginia's a mess, Mike. This is – we thought it was going to be bad. This is – man, this is worse than we thought it was going to be. I mean, they don't even look well coached. This is this is a big problem. And I realize, again, this is year one under Bronco Mendenhall and all this, but, man, this is a problem. This is not good. It's trending. It's honestly trending towards me no longer being high on the Bronco Mendenhall hire. Like, it's getting that It's getting that bad at this point. Like, I understand that you don't have the players that you recruited, and these aren't your guys. But at the same time, like, these are still Division One football players in the ACC, and you look – they arguably look worse than Boston College. I mean, defensively, I understand that Virginia hasn't given up a 49 spot yet. I mean, they they were competitive there. Uh, they were close against uh, Oregon last weekend. And that Oregon offense looked not very good against Nebraska. I don't know if you caught any of that game, Joey, but they didn't look great against Nebraska. Virginia just gave up a ton of points to them last week. An ugly 13-10 slugfest. It's going to be a heck of a battle to see who ends up in the cellar of the ACC, but Virginia is making a case that they could be the worst team in the conference. Brock Mendenhall really has his work cut out for him, and I, like you, I'm starting to get a little skeptical of that hire, too. Just just the poor coached appearance of that team is is concerning. Yeah. It's cause for concern, for sure. Yeah, and I want to overreact to, to three games, and you know these aren't his players, but at the same time, um, they don't look like they even belong on the field at, at times, and that's really concerning here uh their willingness to play the game i think at this point is is under is under question so um it'll be interesting to see moving forward if they can make any improvements and try to get a win under their belt in year one but it's not looking very good here today let's close out week three here mike uh we'll just run through a couple scores here there are a few other games uh, against kind of some cupcake opponents so to speak uh clemson at home Gets back into form, wins 59-0 over South Carolina State. They actually shortened the second half to only 12-minute quarters. And also the Bulldogs were generous enough to give Clemson a free touchdown by not <laughs> actually taking a knee on a kickoff and just flipping it to the, flipping just, it to the official. 
flipped it to the official, and the official's like, what's this for? You need this. And <laughs> it's like, Clemson decided they needed it, and that was a touchdown. It's, like, oh, th- um, it's like, oh, thanks, thanks, man, but you should have probably taken a knee first. That, that was polite as the guest, but um, anyways, okay, uh, North Carolina looks okay. Uh, they won 56-28 over James Madison, obviously gave up 28 points to James Madison, and struggled to get control of that game a little bit at times. And then NC State, a big win over uh, Old Dominion. Obviously not an FCS team, but Old Dominion not what they have been in the last several years. 49-22 there in Raleigh. Uh, Mike, go ACC moment of the week. I think there's a pretty obvious uh, candidate here and one that we just talked about. we got to give that to your boy Alex Fershank. Fershank. Who missed a 20-yard field goal uh, at the end of regulation from point blank just pulled it in his first ever collegiate football game, first ever organized football game, as the field goal team is scrambling onto the field and the whole thing. I mean, the whole last 30 seconds of that Connecticut game was, or that Connecticut-Virginia game was in just an absolute circus. And that, I cannot think of a better option for co-ACC mode of the week than that one right the best, The best part of it was that as Virginia was scrambling onto the field and their offensive line was having trouble lining up, the announcer, I wish I knew who was calling the game, but the color commentator said, well, Virginia, they're getting there. They're rushing the special teams unit out on the field. They have less than 10 seconds to go, and the clock's ticking down, but they've looked like they've really practiced this. And as he's saying, <laughs> as he's saying that, the offense, they got the guards and the tackles. They can't line up. They don't know which side to line up on. Oh, they look like they've really practiced this. And Alex Furshank, um, Furbank, but for Shank, he's lining up and he's doing, he's, you know, he's stepping off his line so he gets in line for the kick. And he's not even at the top, he's not even at the top of his, at, at his, uh, not even at the top of his stance when they snap the ball. And he's like, oh, okay, we're kicking now? Because they had two seconds left when they snapped the ball. They snap it. Oh, we're kicking now. He shanks it left. And it's like, okay, well, that was such a, that was the most Virginia kick ever. Um, wide left with a guy who's never played football before. So. Go ACC moment of the week goes to Virginia. Couldn't be more happy about this. This is that was hysterical. Um, as a Virginia Tech alum, I don't want to sound uh, you know like too big of a homer, but that was fantastic. That was the finish you want to wanted to see as a Hokies fan. But um, Virginia needs to get better moving forward. That's for sure. Get it together, Cavaliers. This is this is embarrassing all of us. Get it together. Sorry, streaking along, people. Uh, anyways, okay. Mike, we got to move on to week four here. Uh, we once again we promised this podcast was not going to take an hour and a half as we start start previewing week four at the hour mark. So uh, we'll move through these a little bit quickly. Uh, we got a few that we're going to hit on kind of hard here at the beginning, and then several easier ones to hit on later. But we'll start with probably the the marquee matchup of the weekend in the ACC, and I, I don't think that I'm being too biased in saying this, but it is it's the first legit you know Thursday night ACC game of the year. The number five Clemson Tigers, 10-point favorites on the road at Georgia Tech, uh, 7.30 on ESPN. This is a game, so again, 10-point favorites. Clemson has not looked great so far this season. They looked really good against South Carolina State, but what does that really tell us? Um, I I don't know how to diagnose what's going to happen in this game because I think if Clemson is firing on all cylinders, they should beat Georgia Tech handily, and 10 points, they, they could probably cover that. Meanwhile... Georgia Tech's offense looks like it's starting to click a little bit, and I, I would also be remiss if I did not mention, I told people this before the Florida State game last year, I've told them before other games, that 
Weird stuff kind of happens at Bobby Dodd Stadium in night games, Mike. And I don't think that Clemson, by any means, is is uh, ex- exempt from that, considering they haven't won in Atlanta since like two thousand three. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a game when looking at Clemson and Georgia Tech. I mean, obviously, weird stuff happens at Bobby Dodd. Um, the Miracle on Tech would drive a course last year against Florida State that really set the Seminoles back. You know, this is a game that Clemson should win, right? I mean, they got a great offense that has struggled this year. Um, they got all the playmakers returning from last year's squad. They really struggled um, throughout the course of the first few games. They got back on track, albeit against South Carolina State. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know what to make of this game because I think that Georgia Tech has a defense. If they stop the run and put a little bit of pressure on Deshaun Watson, Watson's been a little erratic throwing the football here. Uh, the first few games this year, and we've seen Deshaun Watson as best, and when he's as best, I don't think there's any disputing that he's the best quarterback in the country. Um, I think he's got the complete package throwing the football and running the football. Um, I love Lamar Jackson, but you know, when it comes to throwing the football, he's not in the same league yet as Deshaun Watson. Um, and, you know, that's you know taking the hype train aside. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson needs to play well in this game for Clemson to win. Uh, Clemson should win this game. I'm interested to see how the front seven reacts with that Georgia Tech um, option that, of course, Clemson doesn't see very often, um, only when they play them every couple years. It's an interesting game. It's a trap game for Clemson because they have that huge matchup against Louisville in two weeks. It's on a short week on a Thursday. It's a game that has all the makings of an upset um, just because Clemson hasn't played well offensively. Short week. The look-ahead game, of course. Um I don't know. It's it's a tough game to predict. I think 10 points is a lot considering what I've seen out of Clemson for them to cover just based off of what I've seen over the first two games this year. But um, I'm going to take Clemson to win this game, Joey. Um, I, I just think they're a more talented team top to bottom. I expect them to win. I don't know if they'll cover 10. I'm a little bit nervous about that offense right now. But I think they should win the game. And, and if, if they do, if Georgia Tech makes mistakes on offense, it'll turn into a track meet, and I don't think Georgia Tech wants to get into a track meet with this Clemson team. They have too many athletes across the board on offense for Georgia Tech to compete with. Um, and, Joey, I know you can agree. I, I mean, I think that's something you can agree with as well. So um, it's it's a hard game to predict. I could see it going one of two ways, either being really close or ending up being a Clemson blowout in a game that they run away with um, perhaps in the second half. So we'll just have to see what happens. I'm going to take Clemson. I'm kind of right there with you. As much as Georgia Tech's offense started to look pretty good last week against Vanderbilt, I still have a lot of concern over whether they can move the ball against this Clemson defense. Uh, as much as Clemson's offense has had problems this year so far, uh, that defense is not, and they've been really good and they've been really reliable. Uh, pretty much every bit is reliable and as good as we've seen in the last couple of years. So I, I will be impressed if Georgia Tech is able to, to kind of reel off a whole bunch of long plays and, and a whole bunch of yards, even at home. Uh, so for that reason, I like Clemson, and I, I also, as much as their offense has had some problems, uh, they are they are very talented on a level that Tech's defense is going to have a tough time matching. Um, I, I think I'm with you that I'm going to pick Clemson to win straight up, but I think Georgia Tech covers 10. Uh, I think this very easily could be a, a reasonably close game, if not a, a Georgia Tech win outright uh, for weird reasons. Um, but give me Clemson. I think that they win this thing maybe... 27-24 or something like that. Um, let's move on, Mike. 3.30 p.m. on ESPNU. This was the 
the premier game that really decided the Coastal Division last year, and I'm not so sure that either team is going to win the division this year, but uh, the, the aforementioned Pittsburgh Panthers, who have had some issues the last couple weeks through the air, are making a trip to take on another team that they don't want to face with with problems in the secondary. they got to go take on the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, North Carolina is a seven-point favorite at home, and they're every bit built to kind of abuse this, this Pittsburgh secondary, I think. Uh, this one easily could become a shootout as well. Uh, Pittsburgh, obviously, as good as they run the ball and as poorly as North Carolina defends the run, this is almost a little bit of a mirror image to this Oklahoma State-Pittsburgh game, I think, where both teams are kind of built to do the things that the other team can't do. Um, and so this easily could become a, a big shootout kind of game, almost where whoever has the ball last wins. Uh, and so I think for that reason, I, I, I think I just lean towards the home team, North Carolina, uh, but give me Pittsburgh in the seven points here. Yeah, this is uh, this is an interesting game. We had been talking about kind of touting it in the preseason. This could be the game that decides the Coastal, but neither team has been all that consistent on both sides of the ball to date. Um, and, and, you know, that combined with Miami looking really good here in the early going this year kind of makes this ACC Coastal division maybe as wide open as everybody expected it to be and maybe um, even more wide open than you and I kind of thought it would be. Uh you know, Carolina, they can't stop the run. I mean, they gave up another 200 yards to James Madison, an FCS opponent. They've had a lot of issues, of course, in the opener with Nick Chubb. Man, Pittsburgh's pass defense, they're having all sorts of issues. North Carolina has all the weapons. I think North Carolina makes just enough plays in the in the passing game um, with Matt Collins, Ryan Switzer. If they give the ball to Elijah Hood as much as they need to, I think they can win this football game because as good as the Pittsburgh running defense is, I think Elijah Hood is the guy who could potentially carve them up. I'm going to take North Carolina. I'm with you. I don't think they'll cover, but the fact that they're at home and they're playing in front of that crowd there um, in Chapel Hill and they got all the weapons on offense, give me North Carolina. It'll be a close game, though. I, I, I don't think they'll cover the seven-point spread. I think that's a lot. The one thing I do want to mention regarding North Carolina here, Mike, is this is starting to look kind of shockingly similar to last year for me. And I'll tell you how. This is not actually, you know, a North Carolina thing at all. This is actually going back to the Chick-fil-A kickoff game of last year uh, when Louisville took on Auburn in the Georgia Dome. And it was a competitive game, and Auburn at the time was like a top-10 team, and Louisville gave them, you know, gave them some problems, thought, okay, maybe these teams are both really good. And given about a month after that, we found out that neither team was actually all that good. Auburn had a lot of problems of their own. Louisville took a long time to get some identity going on offense before they really started clicking towards the end of the year. And I'm starting to wonder if that's not what we see this year from North Carolina and Georgia, where North Carolina's had a lot of problems early on this year, even, even with a couple of wins under their belt. And Georgia's been a little bit the same. Georgia's not been great either. And so as much as you know, North Carolina looked good, for the most part against Georgia and as much as Georgia kind of got some street cred from this win over North Carolina, I'm not so sure that either one of these teams is all that good, Mike. I mean, are we, is there a chance that we're overrating North Carolina here? Yeah, I think there is. Um, but at the same time, we're putting a lot into the Georgia game, obviously, um, in this conversation, which I I'm completely with you. Um, I, I'm not sure how good Georgia is, yet. I mean, they need a late touchdown yesterday in a game that they probably should have won going away there against Missouri, but 
you know, they're playing a freshman quarterback. Jacob Eason looks like he's getting a little bit more settled in there. But, you know, by the same token, I think North Carolina had a couple of crucial mistakes in that game in the opener against Georgia, and it could have gone a little bit differently perhaps in the second half. So, I don't know. I think it's a big game for North Carolina this weekend. Um, You know, I think if they win against Pittsburgh and cover seven, they're probably back in the top 25, depending on what happens kind of in front of them. Um, They haven't had a lot of games here, obviously, of any merit since that Georgia game. Um, But this is a big one against Pitt. I think if they get a win against Pittsburgh and a team that, you know, looked pretty good against Oklahoma State, so I think that a lot of people take that into consideration, that Pittsburgh was able to score with Oklahoma State and kind of hung in there and played pretty well, represented the conference well from a scoring standpoint. You know, maybe if North Carolina wins this game, they'll be able to get back into things here and, and, you know, get back in the top 25 and, you know, maybe be in the thick of things in the Coastal Division. But, you know, I, I do see a scenario playing out where maybe North Carolina's not as good as we think. Maybe they lose this game against Pittsburgh, and then maybe Pittsburgh drops a few, and then maybe Miami is the team to beat in the Coastal, and they're kind of running away with the thing before it's all said and done. So we'll just have to see what happens. But it's interesting to see how this all will play out. Both seem like incomplete and imperfect teams to me, and I think it's going to be curious to see how both these teams finish the year because they've got a lot of work to do in, in their own respects. Uh, speaking of imperfect teams, we need to talk about the uh, freshly defeated uh, number 13 Florida State Seminoles. They've dropped in the polls this week. Noon game on ABC on the road at a really, really good South Florida team that we talked about early, you know, before the year even being a bit of a trap game. Uh, obviously, Florida State coming off of a road trip to Louisville. In the next two weeks, they've got home game against North Carolina and a road trip to Miami. Is this is this as much of a trap game as we thought before, Mike? Or is there is there any chance on earth that you think that Florida State comes out sluggish against South Florida? Well, Joey, it was a trap game before because we thought Florida State would beat Louisville. Um, it's no longer a trap game because South Car- South Carolina. South Florida is a good football team, and Florida State is being questioned as to whether or not they're a good football team. I think Florida State's still as talented as any team in the country. They need to make a statement against South Florida. They need to go on the road, noon kickoff, and they need to blow South Florida out of the stadium. Now, will they do that? I don't know if they'll do that, but I think they'll win the game. Um, I think DeAndre Francois bounces back. I think Dalvin Cook has a better game against the South Florida defense, and I think they win going away here. Um, But it's... You know, they open up as a five-point favorite. Do they cover? I mean, we'll see. But I think it's a game that they'll definitely be much more competitive in, a game that they definitely should win. And they're the better football team, so they need to come out and play like it from start to finish here um, and play play like they have some confidence, even though they may have everything but confidence after that Louisville game. South Florida is an interesting case where it's, if you look at him last year, in the, within the same year, there was a lot of talk about Willie Taggart being fired and then Willie Taggart being in consideration for some of the biggest jobs in the country. Um, he's done an excellent job there at South Florida. I, I think that Florida State's going to come out here and take care of business. They've got, uh, they've got you know the home field advantage sense of this is a big stadium that South Florida plays in, and you know there's no shortage of Florida State fans nearby. So I think Florida State's going to come out and take care of business and get back on the right track. Uh, I think this is going to be maybe a bit of a high-scoring game. Uh, give me Florida State to cover five. I got Florida State winning this game like 38-30 or something like this. Uh, we've got a, a remaining slate here of a lot of maybe more simple games to discuss. We're going to go through these kind of quickly. Uh, Virginia Tech at home, an 11-point favorite against East Carolina, 12:30 on the ACC Network. 
uh, hard to think that I, I don't know. East Carolina is not as scary as they have been in previous years. I think I'm going to take the Hokies to cover, maybe win this game by 17 here, Mike. Does that sound right to you? East Carolina plays a Ho- they play the Hokies tough in Blacksburg. This is a game I'll actually be in attendance for, so I don't want to completely jinx it um, as far as the point spread goes. I like Virginia Tech to win. I think they're the better football team across the board. East Carolina doesn't have as many playmakers on offense as they've had in recent years when they gave the Hokies a lot of problems. Ruffin McNeil also is no longer the coach there, and he gave Frank Beamer fits. Uh, so and, and of course Frank Beamer's gone now as well. So this is two, you know, it's a completely different scenario in this matchup between Virginia Tech and East Carolina. I'll take the Hokies to win this one. Give me Virginia Tech thirty-eight, East Carolina twenty-one. I think it's like a seventeen-point big win for the Hokies. Wake Forest seven and a half point underdog on the road at Indiana three thirty p.m. on the Big Ten Network. We're starting to get into a slew of games that are on like weird TV channels here. So hang with us. Uh, this is a game that. Before the year, we would have said that Wake Forest has no chance at all in, and at this point, even as like a seven and a half point underdog, there might be some value on playing Wake Forest to win this game straight up because I think they've they've got a bit of a shot here, Mike. I like Wake Forest to win straight up. Um, of course, it depends on the health of you know their quarterbacks or running backs. Uh, Kay Carney, of course, was hurt this week this past weekend as well, so they lost Carney. They lost Kendall Hinton. Um, it depends on the health of some of their bigger playmakers on offense, but. I think Wake Forest, their rushing defense is really good. Indiana likes to run the football, so if Wake Forest wins that battle up front, I think they're going to win the football game. So I like Wake Forest in an upset over Indiana, but I don't think it's much of an upset if they win. I mean, I think I honestly think Wake Forest might be the better football team. Like you said, Indiana likes to run the ball. That's what Wake Forest does a good job of defending, and Indiana's struggled a little bit with some early season opponents, uh, not really putting easier, lesser opponents away, so... I think I'm with you. Give me Wake Forest straight up in the upset. Um, maybe something like 24-17. Uh, Damon Deacon's going to get it done on the road. Uh, speaking of teams not getting it done on the road, uh, Duke makes the trip to South Bend to take on a pissed-off Notre Dame team who's a three-touchdown favorite on, uh, on NBC at 3.30. Is, it, is there any chance in your mind, Mike, that Notre Dame does not cover this three-touchdown spread? I like the Irish big. I'm not sure I like them by 21. Um, Duke's offense looks not great, so 21 points is really tempting. Um, but I think Notre Dame's got too many issues on defense right now. Duke likes to run the football uh, with Jayla Duncan. Notre Dame can't stop the run right now, so I'm not sure they'll cover 21. I think they'll win by at least at least 17, so I think they'll be close to covering. But I'm not quite sure they'll cover this spread. They'll win at home. They need a big win, I, or you, you know, a, a blowout win. This wouldn't be a big win against Duke, but... Um, they need a win at home, so I'll take Notre Dame to win. I'm not sure they cover 21, though. Oh, I disagree with that. I think Notre Dame's going to blow blow the doors off of Duke. Uh, I think this is a huge win for them at home. Give me Notre Dame like 38-10. to 10. This is a big win. Uh, newly minted number three, the Louisville Cardinals, 24-point favorites on the road at Marshall, uh, 8 p.m. on the CBS Sports Network, uh, which cannot be found on the Internet if you uh, if you look for it to stream games there. Uh, Cardinals looking to follow up against a again a big emotional win over Florida State, and they've got a game against Syracuse, uh, not against Syracuse, against the other Orange team, the uh, Clemson Tigers, coming up here in a couple of weeks. Is there any chance that this is like a trap game for for Louisville? Should they be worried at all? I don't think they should be worried. I think twenty four is kind of a big line. Um, weird stuff happens when you go to play at Marshall. It's a night game. Louisville needs to be careful here. They're the Bear football team. They'll win the game, but I don't think they'll cover twenty four, Joey. 
might be a little bit of a step in maturity of seeing whether they can follow up a performance like that. Uh, and again, in a road environment that's not easy to play in. By the way, Marshall coming off a loss to Akron, 65-38. So uh, careful if you're like, you know, not trying to see any gore on your television because Florida, you know, Louisville might put up a whole lot of points in this game. Um, uh, yeah, I think I'm with you. I don't, I don't know if, you know what? What am I doing picking against Louisville to cover the spread? Let, give me, give me Louisville by like. 31 points in this game. They're, they're going to kill Marshall even on the road. Um, Louisville wins this game like 45-14 or something big, um, which would actually hurt their scoring average, believe it or not. But uh, anyways, a few more here. Uh, Syracuse, six-point underdog on the road at Connecticut, who we saw made a bit of a mess out of Virginia this weekend. I'm, I'm a little tempted to like Syracuse in this game for no reason obvious to me. Um, Mike, tell me I'm wrong. I got Syracuse, Joey. Um, so I like them straight up. Um, I, I like them not only to cover, I like them straight up. Connecticut's offense couldn't score on Virginia. Um, Syracuse's defense is better than Virginia's. I like Syracuse, and their offense is better too. Um yeah, give me the orange. Um, they spotted, you know, they, they put 17 up on South Florida in a hurry in the first quarter. Um, I, you know, if they cut down on the mistakes, I think they'll be in good shape. I think this is a game they can go on the road and win. So give me Syracuse straight up to beat UConn. I'm a little tempted to do the same, but I'm scared to trust Syracuse. Um, you know what I think I'm going to follow you? I think, I think Syracuse and this Dino Babers offense, they, they need some talent. They need some seasoning. But uh, I think that they're more than capable of putting up a few touchdowns on a, on a Connecticut team that has been like super lackluster this, you know, the early in this year, uh, seems like they're, they're going to kind of slog their way to about six wins and, and that's going to be what they're going to get. Uh, so give me Syracuse here straight up, maybe, uh, something like 24, 21 and a bit of an ugly one. So, uh, again, that's at one o'clock on the CBS sports network. Uh, the Virginia Cavaliers four point underdogs at home against central Michigan, 12.30 p.m. on ACC Network Extra slash watch ESPN. We've picked so far for two uh, two ACC teams to go on the road and straight upset uh, other teams, out-of-conference teams. I don't think I can pick Virginia to win this out-of-conference game at home, Mike. This is – Virginia is such a mess. I, I just – I can't trust them. I can't do it. This is not me being a Virginia Tech homer. This is me being extremely objective. Virginia is all sorts of – messed up right now offensively defensively they're making a ton of mistakes on both sides of the ball committing turnovers missing assignments both on offense and defensive lines in the secondary they're having issues even with Quinn Blanding back there give me Central Michigan this is going to be a really ugly game though um you know could be low scoring but give me they're the Chippewas maybe uh fire up chips yeah all right give me them on the road get the dub I'm with you. Fire up chips. Central Michigan by at least 10 points in this game. Uh, they're, they're objectively a pretty decent football team. I mean, obviously they hung with Oklahoma State in Stillwater. If you can do that, you can hang with Virginia and Charlottesville right now. Uh, give me give me Central Michigan like 24-14, and that even seems like low scoring. It might be worse than that. Uh, finally, we don't have a, a line for this game. Boston College at home against Wagner for their annual blowout uh, here. 1 o'clock on the ACC Network Extra. Watch ESPN. 
is this is this an important game for Boston College to kind of get their offense right here, Mike? Yeah, BC's bad, but they're not that bad. Um, they should beat Wagner. Yeah, it's an important game. Um, anytime you can play an FCS opponent, get your feedback under you. I mean, this is a good opportunity as any. Um, you know, Steve Adazio is coaching for his job. Every week's important at this point. Um, this week's the most the most important week is the next week, and <laughs> they need to win bad. So yeah, give me BC. Important that they get some rhythm here this week with Buffalo coming up next, which is a winnable game, but also a losable game if they're if they're not any better than what we've seen so far. So uh, I'm right there with you. I mean, obviously, give me Boston College to win this one. Uh, all right, Mike. Last thing, odds and wagers. It was. Uh, <laughs> A little bit more of the same last week. Uh, I continue to be thankful that you picked first because you took Notre Dame to win uh, by seven or more. They lost straight up. Uh, I took Miami to win by five or more. They won by 35. So I moved to 3-0. You are still uh, looking for that first victory in odds and wagers. Uh, you have asked me to go first this week so that uh, so we can kind of maybe turn the luck around here a little bit. Um, as I look at these games... The one that sticks out to me is like this line looks a little wrong is Florida State by five against South Florida. Uh, this is maybe a little bit of a de facto home game for the Seminoles. And again, I think highly of South Florida. I think highly of Willie Taggart. They're coming off a loss. There's there's all sorts of reason to be concerned here about the Seminoles, but I think that they're going to get right. I think they win by at least 10 points in this game. And and uh, get back to the, the Florida State that we know and love. I love that pick, Joey. That's a fantastic pick. Yeah, I think, yeah, Florida State. You're wishing I hadn't picked first God now. damn it, yeah. That's a great pick. <laughs> um, so I'm looking at the rest of the slate. I had a couple other games in my head. Um, man. I picked Wake Forest straight up to beat Indiana. Um, you know, I so that means that by default, they're going to cover seven and a half. Um, give me, <laughs> give me Wake Forest, Joey. Uh, the kiss of death. Give me Wake Forest as my pick of the week. Seven and a half against Indiana. Um, I like Wake Forest right now. I didn't like him against Tulane because I was like, oh my god, that offense is atrocious. Uh, but you know, defensively, they've showed me something here over the last couple of weeks. I think. It'll be more of the same against Indiana. I'm not sure how many playmakers Indiana has, but it can't be that many, right? So give me Wake Forest. Things you never thought you saw yourself, you saw yourself I can't saying, believe I, Wake Forest. I can't believe that's my pick. Yeah, Wake Forest. I'm going with it. You're not going to take Central Michigan minus four? No, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going with Wake Forest. I, I've All seen right. too many weird things happen with Virginia where they win games they, they, win games they shouldn't against bad teams, and I think Central Michigan's a pretty decent team. I really like I like Wake Forest right now. They're hot on defense. I think it'll continue. Maybe they'll muster up enough offense uh, to beat Indiana. If they don't beat Indiana, at least they'll cover seven and a half. So give me Wake on the road. You are right that Charlottesville has some like weird voodoo about it. At times, they almost beat so, they almost uh, beat Notre Dame last year. I mean, Deshaun Kaiser had to come in. Nobody knew who he was, and he threw a game wing touchdown pass. So weird stuff happens this, sometimes. So this is true. I'm hoping some weird stuff happens at Bobby Dodd Stadium on Thursday night too. So. Uh, Mike, that about does it for us. Um, I don't know what your plans are. You said you'll be at uh, the Virginia Tech East Carolina game. This I will. I will. So that'll be a uh, should be fun. See what happens. Maybe Virginia Tech performs well. We'll see. Yeah, I, I will be watching the Clemson Georgia Tech game on Thursday night, and then 
Uh, just sticking around Mission Control here in Houston, maybe trying to get a couple things done on Saturday. But uh, sets up to be a few good games, and uh, hopefully the ACC can get it done out of conference here in a couple of different matchups that we've we've picked upsets for. So time will tell. Uh, but this has been fun. We gotta we gotta get out of here, and uh, and now that we're we're approaching an hour and a half, it's apparently time to get out of here. But uh, as as always, you know, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for sending in your questions and everything. We haven't had any in the last couple of weeks, but. Uh, if you ever have anything, if you ever want to reach out to us, you know, tell us your thoughts, anything like this, uh, you can reach us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we are at BC Podcast ACC. The longest email address in known history of mankind, basketballconferencepodcast uh, at gmail.com. That's basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com if you ever want to email us. Uh, Please subscribe on iTunes, on Google Play, write us, and share us with your friends, and tell people that you know that uh, that you've got this great ACC podcast because uh, we're trying to always extend our reach. But uh, anyways, hope you guys have enjoyed the show. As always, send us, please, your, uh, your feedback or any questions or anything else you want to you go over with us. But uh, for Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. And until next week when we will have uh, some good action to hopefully recap and discuss and uh, some more games to preview. Until then, go ACC.